Welcome to the 100th edition of Pound the Rock. I am Joe Wolfond, and I'm in the bowels of Scotiabank Arena in Toronto with fellow co-host Joseph Cacharo. What's going on? And joining us for this special 100th edition is our former co-host and current Toronto Raptors beat writer for Yahoo Sports, William Liu. Will, it's great to have you back, man. It's, it's honestly great to be back. Uh, I, I have missed you guys. Always, I have said to uh, listen to Pound the Rock. And uh, you guys have done a great job of just the two of you hosting and, and the show. I I've, Honestly, I listen every week. Man, uh, we really appreciate that. And yeah. for the, I mean, I don't know how many of our listeners have kind of been with us from day one, but Will was really instrumental in getting this podcast off the ground and was with us for almost a year um, after we got started. Yep. Yep. You left uh, about nine months ago to to take up this job. I love covering, Just, the, covering I the Raptors on a full time basis. I was gonna say I love just in time for the Raptors to I've, win the NBA Finals. Yeah, I think Decent our last show together one. was actually trade deadline day when the Raptors yes, got right. when the Raptors that's got right. Marcus All. That was our yeah. last show. What did we say about the Raptors getting Marcus All? That was a good move. I think I I was a little bit lower on it than you were. I right. thought it was more of a lateral move, which. It was kind of a lateral move, but it it, yeah. f- it made the team fit better. Yeah. I think we were all mad that Miritich didn't come to the Raptors. <laughs> yes. No, I was quite content with Marcus Gasol. It's- I think, no, I, I definitely at the time, I I was higher on that move for the Bucks than I was on the Gasol move for the Raptors, um, which yeah. in hindsight looks like a pretty bad take. Yeah. But a bit I, of a clown take from all <laughs> I, I don't think the Raptors win the wow. championship without Marcus Hall. I don't think the Raptors win the championship without the Bucks getting Nikola Meritage. Yeah, that's yeah. a very good way to put it. Um, I can't believe I was on the receiving end of a clown take from Joseph Cacharo. I feel oh, honored. I missed this. Um, but, Will, uh, since you're back mm-hmm. and we have you here and you have been covering the Raptors on a full-time basis for the past nine months or so, um, let's talk about the Raptors. Uh, we're here a few hours before game time. They're about to play the Miami Heat, which I feel like will be a great measuring stick game, probably for both teams. Yep. As they sort of establish themselves as legitimate threats in the Eastern Conference. Um, but the Raptors have had this unbelievable start to the season. And I think, you know, the three of us, I feel like we're all fairly optimistic about what the Raptors could do this season. Cash and I talked before the season started. I felt like they had conference finals upside cash felt like they had finals upside and i wasn't quite willing to go there Mm -hmm. i don't know if any of you saw this level of dominance coming from this team uh you know in the wake of Kawhi leonard and danny green's departures and especially in the wake of kyle lowry and serge ibaka's injuries eight games into the season so you will as somebody who has been around this team who's been following them and covering them very closely what are your biggest takeaways from the first quarter of the season I think first off, like you can't ignore the fact that they are a team that's trying to defend the championship. Like, do they have realistically the personnel to defend the championship? We could talk about it in in a bit, but I, I think realistically, the the title is still in Toronto, and you want to at least play with some sort of certain pride. And I think after Kawhi left and Danny Green left, like it's a blow to the ego, and it's also even just a realistic fan. Like that's a lot to lose. And then you think back on like. Basically, the months leading up to um, Kawhi's uh, exit, you have DeMar DeRozan going out the door, Jakob Proto going out the door, and then for Marcus Saul, you lose JV, you lose DeLon Wright, you lose CJ Miles. So right there, you, all those guys just walk out the door at once. And you look at the roster, you're like, this thing is not that proven. And, and so I think the biggest takeaway is that, like, I don't know, man, Kawhi leaving is not 
anything like the way like Cleveland was when um, LeBron left, right? There is a real pride in Toronto. It's I think it's a uh, it, it's really shown to be almost like a it's it's validated everything. It's weird to say you need validation after a title because that's supposed to validate everything. But I mean, I think in the Toronto market, there's definitely a never ending thirst, unquenchable thirst for validation. I think what Kawhi's exit and the Raptors being 15 and four before this game against the Heat. I think it really validates that there's a program here. There is an ability for this team to develop, and there's an ability for this team to scout and draft guys like Terrence Davis. Even getting like a Rondé Hollis Jefferson on the like on the cheap for 2.5 million is just an incredible signing, and he's been really good. And so I think it's just a validation that the Raptors are indeed a championship franchise, whether whether or not they have like a Finals MVP or not. Like they are still incredibly competitive. Yeah. And- Look, I like I opening day. I wrote a piece about how it was the Raptors were in this rare position where they're defending champions, but also very much so underdogs and unpredictable underdogs. Right? Like, sure, the Bulls back in the day lost Jordan, but everyone knew they were going to be crap. Jordan's second time leaving because they also lost Rodman and Pippen, and then the Bulls very much were what everyone expected. I think they lost like sixty plus games that year. This Raptors team was different because. People assume they wouldn't be as good, obviously, with Kawhi and Danny leaving, but no one was really sure what to make of them. I mean, sure, we can laugh about, like, Sam Mitchell having the eighth and Dennis Scott not having the players, but for the most part, people just didn't know what to make of them, good yeah. or bad. Yeah. You know, again, people like myself and even Wolf One, like you said, okay, you didn't have them in the finals, but you still thought there was conference up, finals upside there. It was just, upside was a key word. Like, we just did not know, right? Could Pascal Siakam be a number one option? Yeah. Um, could a guy like Kyle Lowry actually be like a secondary option again or look to score for himself? Kyle Lowry somehow got younger over the summer after playing more basketball than he ever played and playing deeper into the year than ever, somehow regained the ability to get to the rim, which he hadn't shown in like two years, right? So the, some of the things were surprising um, and doing what they did. Then done. having like the number one three-point shooting so in the NBA. Here's where, I was, yeah. where I was going to go, though, is some of the things I actually think there were – Traits of this team that actually were hiding in plain sight. And okay, maybe not being number one in shooting, but, and this is another thing I wrote about in that opening day feature, like when they signed Stanley Johnson and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, the immediate reaction was like, okay, they've lost two elite three-point shooters and they just added two guys who can't shoot. This team's going to struggle to shoot. Like, can we trust Pascal's shot and all this? But then when you actually went and looked into it and you looked at the guys who made up, I guess, what would have been their eight-man rotation going into opening night before Rondé cracked the rotation... Those eight guys all either shot 35% or better from three last season, mm-hmm. or in the case of Terrence Davis, did it in his season at college. So then it was all of a sudden like, well, wait a minute, maybe they're not a bad shooting team. you know? And this was kind yeah, of what I'm yeah. saying, where like there was a lot of instances with this team where people seem to be asking questions of things, where if you actually looked at it, maybe the mm-hmm. answers were there all along. This was just a good team hiding in plain sight. That's well coached. That's deep. That has this great developmental program. And it's like, sure, 15 and four, no one could have predicted it. But anyone who thought they were going to completely fall off, right? Or, for example, thought they just weren't going to be able to shoot for the life of them. It's like, well, then maybe you just weren't paying attention to what was here. Well, I do think that a lot of the questions were valid, which to me is what makes this start so extraordinary because they really have answered every single one of those questions in such resounding fashion. Like the, the Lowry thing, Given his age, the wear and tear on his body, the fact that he is, you know, six feet tall in shoes, probably, 
and and the the track record of point guards, you know, like with his physical proportions at his age, it was like pretty bleak. Well, there's there's come on, there's no history of there's no track record of Kyle Lowry proportion <laughs> okay, people in okay. the world other than Kyle. He's <laughs> unique. It's yeah. a one on one. Maybe like and Damon clappers. Stoudemire, like late career Damon Stoudemire, which again. <laughs> um. Anyway, so you know, I think that was a legitimate question. I think it was a legitimate question about whether whether Siakam was going to be able to carry an offense as a number one option. Yep. You Fred. know. Yeah, whether Fred was going to be able to to step into a starter's workload, yeah, and and produce you know at the level that he was producing at before, if not you know take take it above and beyond, which he has certainly done so mm-hmm. far. Um, whether OG Ananobi was going to be able to have the leap that a lot of us expected him to have last season, whether there was going to be enough depth on this team, yep. Who whether there was Nick going Nurse to be enough, was as a coach, whether there was going to be enough secondary playmaking, yeah. Whether Nick Nick Nurse, you know who. Won a championship in his first year as a head coach, but yeah. happened to do it while having maybe the best player in the league. You know, would that be able to translate to having maybe a more talent-strapped roster? Every single one of those questions has been answered, and I really think it's quite extraordinary uh, the way this team has has responded. So, um, with that in mind, and now that we've sort of talked about what our expectations were for this team coming into the season mm-hmm. and how maybe our expectations have changed. Will, what do you think is the Raptors' biggest roadblock to potentially getting back to the finals? I actually think it's it's Giannis. I, I really do yeah. think it's Giannis. Um, so the Raptors have beaten Giannis in 2017. At the time, they had P.J. Tucker, who played an instrumental role in stopping um, or at least slowing Giannis down. Um, and, of course, they got some great production out of Norman Powell, who seems to have a thing for killing the Bucks. Uh, and then, you know, this past year when the Raptors reversed an 0-2 serious deficit to essentially sweep the Bucks, And I remember <laughs> Wolf, I, 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 I really like admire your commitment yeah. to continuing to call yeah. it a sweep. I like that the, winning the Canadian games, sweep. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> we, gave him, we gave him two games. Uh, I remember, yeah, even in game six, you, you and I talked, you know, when the Raptors were officially like going to the NBA finals. Um, you know, I, I think the central guy in that series was Kawhi. And, it, you know, it was sort of the Raptors couldn't win against the Bucks with just one guy like they could against the Sixers. Like, the Sixers was really just Kawhi put the team on his back. The rest of the team wasn't doing much, and Kawhi put them through. Whereas with the Bucks, it was like Kawhi doing that by himself wasn't enough. It wasn't until the rest of the team stepped up. Norma Powell, Serge Ibaka, Marc Gasol, Fred VanVleet, obviously. Lowry was great in that Kyle series, Lowry too. Yeah. was amazing, that one. Pretty much like 25-5 and five in that series. Um for them to step up, but you know, essentially though, they couldn't get past Giannis until Kawhi took on that assignment, and you know, he was just like, "All right, I'm going to guard Giannis." And the amount of times that Kawhi just got the better of Giannis in that basically game, what three to six? Yeah, that was really incredible. And so I, I don't really know if they can stop Giannis because you look at the Bucks; they're pretty much the same team as last year. Like, okay, they don't have Brogdon, but it doesn't seem to affect them in the regular season. They clearly have a you know system in place. And it looks like Giannis is taking some steps forward again. I think um, he's finding his spots better. I think the three-point shot is falling a little bit more. We'll see if he trusts it in the playoffs. The free-throw shooting has tailed off a little. It's it's definitely tailed off a lot. Yeah. He's at like 60%. I think he was up over 70% last season. It was like that against the Raptors, especially here at Scotiabank. Yeah, uh, I mean, last year too. So, and he's airballed a few this year. Like he's, he's missing true. them badly. That's true. But I still think that he, ultimately Giannis is the best player in the conference, and um, the Bucks are still a team that make a lot of sense. They know how to play. They know how to work. And without Kawhi, I don't really know what the Raptors do against Giannis. Yeah, I do think like in terms of one v one, I don't think the Raptors have anyone that can stop Giannis. I do still wonder if if you do dare him to shoot. 
and sag off him a bit, you know, yeah. and Marcus All. Marcus All gave him problems in that, and obviously not in the way Kawhi Leonard did as like a one on one matchup. Yeah. But you remember even in the summer, Giannis did talk about Marcus All mm-hmm. as well, right? When he said he was going to have nightmares of, or not nightmares, but he said his motivation to improve was going to bed every night thinking of like what Kawhi Leonard did in that series and also of thinking of Marcus Gasol at the rim as right, like right. said every time every time he's working on what he's doing in the post he's he's imagining Marcus Gasol right. coming and double teaming. And so again I do think there is you're not stopping Giannis because only Kawhi no, no. seemed capable Even of doing last that. Year, well, they well, didn't stop Giannis. They didn't unquote. stop him, but that series effectively ended when they put Kawhi on Giannis yes. in game 3 and then yes. Kawhi was able to limp through the rest of that series. I I still feel like even though we saw what Marcus All did to Joel Embiid yeah. last week yeah. and how he embarrassed him and how he seems to win that match every time, I still feel like I would rather take my chances figuring out and, and letting Nick Nurse figure out a way to slow down Giannis Antetokounmpo right. on a team where I don't necessarily trust the next options as opposed to a team in Philly who I, you know, offensive fit be damned. I still feel like their overall size, their overall mm-hmm. team component, like yeah. one through five at least in that starting lineup, I still think is the scarier matchup. It was interesting when the the Sixers played the Raptors, um, where Embiid did have go scoreless. Where it wasn't Embiid guarding Siakam. In fact, the whole game it was Ben Simmons guarding Siakam, and I think it presented a different look. I, I'm really curious to see what Siakam can do against Embiid. Because I kind of know what Siakam can do against Giannis. Offensively, it's it's very difficult for him to get that shot off. And I think Giannis is just like, uh, in many ways, just like a physically, he's just, there's no physical advantage that Pascal has over, right. over Giannis. Whereas I think Pascal can at least, especially this year when it was, with him hitting all these pull-up jumpers, I feel like if they put Embiid on him, mm-hmm. it's not going to be as effective as it was in last year's playoffs. Yeah, I think the two guys that he has struggled most against are Giannis and Jonathan Isaac. Yeah. And, and I think the reason for that is like those guys can come and guard him out on the perimeter and still yeah. stop him at the rim. And, you know, if it's Embiid on him, like Embiid is going to sit back at the rim and dare him to hit those jumpers. And if he comes up to the perimeter, then Siakam can beat him off the bounce. Yeah. But he can't create that separation against Giannis or Isaac. Those guys are too fast and too long. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I was sort of thinking about this and, and quietly seething about it mm-hmm. <laughs> during that second game that they played uh, here in Toronto against the Magic when... Possession after possession, Siakam's like going one on one against Jonathan Isaac, and yeah. it's not working. Like he's getting stopped every single time. He's he's shooting these like wild off balance layups, or he's getting yep. blocked. And it's like toward the end of that game when they wanted to put it on ice, they used him as a screener, and he scored two times in a row, no problem. Like, yeah, that was game. Yeah. And I just I guess I wondered if Nurse and Siakam in some combination were just sort of trying to figure out whether that was a matchup that he could win by just going one on one. Yeah. And using the regular season almost as like a proving ground and an opportunity for him to see like what he is capable of as an isolation scorer. 82 practices. You know, like his isolations are way up. Like his unassisted field goals are way up. Like he is creating for himself more than he ever has. Yeah. And I guess the final stage maybe in his evolution is just like figuring out if he can do it against those big long guys. And we'll get a chance to see that over the course of the rest of the season. But I think as of now, I agree. Like, if the Bucks stick Giannis on him, like, you're going to have to find a way um, to get him out of that matchup. Mm-hmm. I mean, Anthony Davis, again, is another example where... where sure, yeah. In, in that game against the Lakers, like, he was getting nothing against AD. Anytime they managed to get a screen to stick and got somebody else switched onto him, you know, yep. namely Kyle Kuzma, 
Guaranteed bucket. Seven for seven from the field against Kyle Kuzma. Yeah. Kyle game. Kuzma's like, better, though, man. Come on. <laughs> well, well, we'll get to see that matchup in June. Um, <laughs> yeah. in, terms of, in terms of getting like figuring out a way for uh, Siakam to do something in that matchup, to be honest, and whether it's like running him off screens or whatever, I think the faith there has to be in Nick Nurse and that he will adjust quicker than Mike Budenholzer did mm. last year, mm-hmm. right? Well, I don't even think Bud adjusted at all. Someone asked him before uh, Game Six. I was like, "Hey, are you going to extend Giannis's minutes? Because you guys are getting killed whenever Giannis is on the floor, and you guys are only playing Giannis thirty-eight minutes. It's yeah. another ten minutes." And he's like, "No, I can't. Actually, there's an optimal usage with Giannis, and it's thirty-eight. We can't extend that." And it's like, I mean, you're about to get eliminated. You should probably extend it. Yeah. But. Well, he also did the same thing. Like Brogdon was by far their second best player in that series for like the first four games, and he didn't put him back in the starting lineup until game five when the Raptors had already yeah. come back to tie the series. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that the bucks are better this year than they were last year. I, I think that Brogdon loss really was huge. And especially when you get into a playoff series, mm-hmm. like to have that secondary creation yeah, and huge. a guy who is as good at attacking off of the catch as Brogdon is like, that yeah. was so key for them because they have, they don't have enough guys who can do that. And yeah, like, Yes, their offense works extremely well, especially in the regular season. And even like in the early rounds of the playoffs, it's going to work really well because what defense can really stop Giannis from getting where he's trying to go yeah. without sending two or three bodies at him? Or Kawhi. A- and, well, look, even like you want to talk about, yeah, putting Kawhi on Giannis as his primary defender helped tilt the balance of that series for mm-hmm. sure. But it was by no means a one-man mm-hmm. effort at yeah, slowing yeah. down Giannis. Right. Like the Raptors were sending a lot of double yeah. teams. They were blitzing him like from different directions, like keeping him off balance. There were two guys sitting at the elbows, sitting on his spin move every time down, and they were trusting themselves to make those rotations when he passed out of it. And and that's been the way that they've played defense pretty much all season this year, right? Like, they, they have been even more aggressive this year than they have last year as far as sending extra bodies to star players and then trusting themselves to rotate on the back end. Well, I, I was actually going to mention there, because um, when you mentioned against Giannis, sending extra defenders from, like, different directions and them doing it more this year. Brett Brown actually noted that before the matchup where the Gasol and the Raptors yeah. held him beat scoreless in that when he's watching film, the Raptors seem to be the most, or at least one of the most unpredictable defensive teams when it comes to where the help is coming from. Yes. Like he yep. said, you know, usually it's not easy, but you can... Anticipate. You, right, you can anticipate where the help's coming from because it's yeah. usually very similar across yeah. basketball. And the Raptors are very unpredictable in, in that sense. I thought that was a really interesting comment because you talk to enough coaches and they will tell you, for the most part, yeah, there's variations of things, but everything is pretty predictable. You know, right. no one's rewriting the book here. And in a way, Nick Nurse seems to be kind of doing that. Yeah. And I think, like, he also has so many different coverages. Like, they have a couple of different zones that they will play. They have that extremely blitz-heavy defense where they're really like keying everything toward like that one star player and oftentimes it's been the ball handler right and they're putting pick and rolls but they showed in that game against mb that they can do it just as effectively in the post and what you're talking about was sending the help from unpredictable directions i think that's why they've had so much success defending philadelphia because there are a bunch of different places where that help can come Mm -hmm. from where you're not at as much risk because they just don't really have the shooting to punish it. Whereas with the Bucks, like if you surround Giannis with four shooters, which they, for the most part, are able to do, I think it makes it a little bit harder to help and to know where to help from and then to recover afterwards. Yeah, but you know what the Sixers, I, I was looking over the film of the Sixers against the Raptors, and one thing that really just stood out is like, man, their spacing is bad. Like, they just aren't in the right spots. I think there's a lot of improvisation when you have to trust 
Ben Simmons to run a half court offense because it, you kind of need him to like go over here and, and drive over here and explore and then pivot and then post and then someone might flash and get open. But the downside of that is everyone's just out of position. And, you know, they're, they're, even if with Embiid getting double teamed by whoever, and the Raptors are very high IQ about how they double and how they rotate and how they recover. But at the same time, like the Sixers just, to me, offensively, they just don't look right. And like it's the same issue they had last year. And, and you know, when you think of the Sixers as a threat, like, you know, Jimmy Butler was yes. the Sixers' like biggest offensive threat last season against the Raptors, right? In the playoffs. And, you know, I think J.J. Redick definitely was a guy who could at least move defenses and make people panic, and, and, yeah. and you can definitely run late-game offense through him if you need a three. I don't think there's a better guy in the league necessarily to run like a screenplay for than Redick. Um, maybe Clay actually, but he's obviously hurt right now. So, like, those guys aren't on the roster anymore. I, You know, Richardson is nice. He's a little bit more round, well-rounded than Redick, but definitely not the same offensive threat. And then Horford is just kind of – I mean, it feels like they're really reinforcing a position of strength. They have a, they're playing him a little bit at power forward. Him and and beat, you know, as a front court, it's not the greatest. As a backup center, sure, he's. I think that front court could be fine if if Ben Simmons wasn't their nominal point guard. Right. That too, yeah. So you mentioned Jimmy Butler, and I was going to bring him up too, and I think we can kind of go there. Is like we're talking about threats in the East, and we've been talking about Milwaukee and Philly because they were the preseason favorites and looked like they should be the, the next two best teams, mm-hmm. other than the Raptors. But man, I. I think Miami could very easily topple one of those two teams in the playoffs. Very easily? Okay, sir, I don't mean they could very easily beat them. I'm saying like it's not hard to imagine. I don't I wouldn't consider it some monumental upset. Sure. You know, like I could easily imagine it is what I mean, right? Mm-hmm. Um they've got a true like number one option on offense that we've seen can will a team to the distance of a playoff series, even against a good team and against a great defense. They're well coached. They're, Joe and I have talked about this in the podcast a number of times. Like they're just grimy and they might hurt you a little, and you're not going to want to play them in the playoffs. Like I think the Raptors would beat them, but if we're talking threats to the Raptors in the East, like I'm at a point where I'm almost putting, like I'm putting Miami just a notch below Milwaukee and Philly in terms of their ability to beat the Raptors because I I really do think that they can muck it up enough. Yeah, Jimmy can score enough. Spo will devise something. Mm-hmm. And I don't think by any means it'll be like a, a cakewalk. Yeah, and we'll touch on this later, but it, it's been real interesting to watch the East this year because it feels like there's a legitimate case for the top five as just like any of them can win the conference. You're going to leave Joe's Pacers out? <laughs> Bro, I know how much you love the Pacers, but I'm not buying this Pacers team. Sorry. You know what? Not I might yet. be buying this Pacers team more than wow. I'm buying the Celtics team. Ooh. Okay. I, see, That's I spicy. Go, I wouldn't go that far, but well, we can, um, t- we can yeah, talk no, about we'll, that. We, we will get there shortly, but I, just to touch on the Miami point, like – I believe in their defense wholeheartedly, um, even though there are some red flags, uh, like the the quality of three-pointers that they're giving up and the volume of three-pointers that they're giving up and the fact that they have had some aberrant uh, results in terms of their opponent shooting that I feel like are probably due some regression. Mm -hmm. I still think like there's a lot of defensive talent on that team. I trust Spolstra uh, in terms of like his ability to devise schemes against specific matchups. And, you know, between... Butler and Bam uh, and Justice Winslow, like they got some guys that can close space on you in a hurry and That's like true. really shrink the court. And I, I, you know, the leap that I've seen from Bam this year has has given me a lot more faith in that team than I might have had coming into the season. I'm still not quite buying that they have enough creators on offense, and like they've managed to make it work because Kendrick Nunn has has given them so much as a as a self creator more than anything. Dragic is 
still shown like a lot more life than I. Bit of a renaissance from him. Yeah, yeah like, yeah. and he's you know we talked about Lowry and and his age and. You know, Dragic is a couple years younger than Lowry, but he's also coming off a pretty significant knee injury last year. So I was certainly not expecting to see this from him this year. So they've been better offensively than I expected, but I'm not quite sold. Maybe this is a team that has a trade to make, and that changes the calculus for them a bit. But if you're talking just the team that they are able to put on the floor right now, I'm not putting them in a category with Philly, Milwaukee, Toronto. Probably not Boston either. Mm -hmm. Um, But... Maybe that's a good opportunity to kick to you, Cash, and talk about why you're not buying the Celtics team right now. Well, for one, they've had – I believe they've had the easiest schedule thus far, have they not? It's got to be them and the Lakers, man. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so the, a lot well, of Well, they're that... different – so, yeah, different kind of like metrics uh, right. as like, far as schedule yeah. difficulty measure different things. Um, but I think the Celtics are like number one or number two in terms of ease of schedule in pretty much all of those. I know um, – Most of the ones I've seen. I know the one that John Schumann uses, which takes into account rest days – has actually the Raptors having the second easiest oh, schedule in the league behind the Lakers so far. Okay. So take that for whatever it's worth. But I've said this before. Like I think, I think Boston still needs another big man. As much as they've managed to make it work defensively by downsizing, yeah. I just don't think that's going to be viable when they have to go up against the Sixers in a playoff series, or you know, like, or when it comes to like slowing down Giannis. Like I, I think that they need a legitimate rim protector and as good as Robert Williams has been in limited minutes, like I don't think he can be your primary option as a backline defender. Yeah. Well, the thing I was going to mention too is like, look, I, at the end of the day, I still believe obviously in talent prevailing and the game of basketball prevailing over any sort of shenanigans. But I, I do believe again, and Boston, I think to me would be most susceptible out of those other East contenders. If you're looking like a, uh, at a team that, one of the quote-unquote tougher or grimier teams like Miami could push around, it's the Celtics. And I do think that matters over the course of a playoff series. Mm -hmm. And I do think like a Jimmy Butler-led grimy Heat team coached by Spo could, regardless of the seeding, go into Boston and easily get a win a lot more than I would trust that Celtics team to go into Miami in April or May and get a win or go even come into Toronto and get a win. You know, there's just something about that team that I don't... First of all, Kemba Walker, has he... Has he ever played a second round game? Don't like, he's never played no. a second round he game. He doesn't have a playoff win. <laughs> he doesn't have a I mean, playoff win. It's not fair though. It's, he was playing without Jefferson against the big three. Yeah, did they not still. get? Did they not get to a game seven against? Yeah, the yeah, yeah. They, they went to game seven against. Oh, Miami. that's yeah. right. That was yeah. the second yeah. round. I no, thought my you bad, meant he doesn't bad. have a Sorry, series Kemba. win, which Sorry. is true. He doesn't have a series win. Yeah, he's never I forgot about that extremely memorable purple shirt guy. Yeah, he never has. He's never played a second round game. Um, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown I've been impressed with this year. I still think they run a little hot and cold. Like I'm not ready to trust them come April. Yeah, agreed. defensively, even though it's looked solid so far, I still have questions of them, and I don't think it makes sense to me yet that they're they're a good defensive team. It's a little gimmicky. It's a little it's a scheme little gimmicky. Wise, and then again, you mentioned the big man talent. depth. Like, I understand it's the modern game. You don't necessarily you don't need like a, a low post center scoring twenty a game, but you need some semblance of Fair enough, a yeah. large human being playing NBA caliber. Like, oh, I, I totally think they can get by offensively without that guy. I, I'm more worried about the other end of the floor, right? And but yeah, I mean, those are the reasons why I just don't trust that they're as good as their record and why I don't, I wouldn't trust them in a playoff mm-hmm. series, even as much as like a Miami. And mm-hmm. I know Indiana, obviously, we've got to wait to see what Oladipo looks like. But like, you look at the way Malcolm Brogdon and Sabonis have been playing so yep. far this season. Yep. If you plug in Oladipo at even like 75% of what he was, I would take that team over Boston in a playoff series. Okay. Um Let's, let's shift back to the Raptors quickly and, and wrap up this segment before uh, we get to an old pound the rock standby and bring back make or miss. Yeah. Um, what do you think, if anything, the Raptors still need? What do you think they're lacking, if anything? 
And do they have a trade to make you think that could address that hypothetical need? Yeah, you know, I don't think the Raptors are a perfect team by any means, and I think you can definitely upgrade things like um, secondary shot creation, especially just a guy who can create a shot that's um, there to sort of back up Pascal a little bit. I'm not sure if I fully trust the rest of the talent on the roster. But at the same time for the Raptors, like I, I, even though it's very exciting that they're better than everyone expected, Chan just lose track of this, the fact that like this is still a developmental year, and you want to give these guys a chance to succeed or um, just at least – prove whatever they can and so you just got to give them the hardest test and so i I think you kind of just stick with the roster because you know like you could for example the raptors have enough assets to go out there and go get an andre godala but i mean honestly i'd rather just see what og anobi does for the season i really would i I don't want to cut any opportunities from him and you might bring in a guy that can sort of back up um, pascal a little bit in terms of that scoring but also i want to see pascal tackle those challenges over the course of a seven game series and hopefully solve those things same thing for fred as well so I actually think the Raptors got to stand pat because this is a developmental year. This It's still a bridge year. The Raptors are still – they're not built to contend this year. It's very clear. They just lost Kawhi. Um, you know, they need to find their next Kawhi. Maybe that's Siakam. Maybe they're signing that next person. But regardless, you got to give them that chance at least to uh, prove themselves. Yeah, I think the beauty – one of the many beauties of winning a championship is it allows you to – maybe maintain the status quo a little bit more yeah, yeah. the following year, even though in this case it's not the traditional status quo because the best player's gone and Danny Green's gone. But yeah, I'm with Will. I think, you know, there are some probably moves you can make along the margins and whether it's maybe not an Iguodala, but like another defensive dis- difference maker who you can throw at a number one option in the playoffs. But even then, like, I don't know, you have OG, you have yeah, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson yeah. who like has proven more than capable of at least guarding the other team's number one option. Maybe, Stanley Johnson was you know, on LeBron's head. Right? Yeah, according to Dwayne Casey. Um, you, you can maybe add like a veteran shooter because mm-hmm. you can never have too much shooting in the playoffs. But I, I don't think there's really much to address, especially in a year when there are there's no perfect team, right? right? Every contender has flaws. I don't mind the Raptors going in to the playoffs, maintaining the status quo, seeing what this core can accomplish in the playoffs. And, I mean, look, do I think they're going to repeat as champions? No. But, I mean, if the season ended today, I'd probably pick this team to get to the finals. And wow. if you get to the finals, things can happen. Um, KD yeah. could get hurt, right? <laughs> yeah. Like 10 meters from where we are right now. Um, the Lakers could play KCP too much. You never know. Yeah. Ooh. I, I would just say, I guess, if if there's one spot I feel like they could upgrade without shaking things up too much, um, having to change their schemes up too much. It's like Norm Powell. And I feel bad saying that because he's actually been playing quite well lately. But, I mean, obviously with Lowry out, he's been starting at the two spot. And, and when Lowry's playing, he's, you know, kind of the first guard coming off of the bench. And maybe Terrence Davis has actually superseded him in that regard. But I just think when Lowry's not on the floor, um, if if ever Lowry and Siakam are sitting at the same time, I do feel like you're maybe a little bit strapped for for off the dribble creation sure and and Powell has never really done that at a particularly high level like to me he has been much much better operating Mm -hmm. as an off the ball guy and so if you wanted to get somebody else who could play on the ball a little bit more who could maybe provide a little bit more resistance on defense and and just give you a little bit more shot creation with a little bit more efficiency than Norm's giving it to you then that is one space where I feel like uh, and and Norm's got like a tradable contract where if you package that with a draft pick or something you then, can get something real back. In then, then you that. could take, you know, yeah, exactly. Like you, 
what's he's like making what ten million dollars this year? Nine, yeah. nine and a half. Is it something like that? Yeah, it's it's a, it's roughly ten. I think it averages out to ten. Yeah, it was like a forty over four kind of right. deal. But that's a solid movable deal where you can bring back something real. Yeah, and if you're a team getting a Norm Powell in return, it's not like you're taking on a bad salary. Like right. he's a very functional player. Yeah. At a very, like, below... I mean, he's not even paid, like, a starter, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and we don't have time, I don't, I don't think, to get into, like, actual scenarios there, but that's one spot where I feel like they, they could realistically upgrade. But we were just talking about uh, about Lowry and how he's been out. He's going to come back pretty soon, and possibly even tonight. Uh, we'll find that out shortly when Nick Nurse does his availability. But what do you think it's going to look like, Will, when Lowry is ready to come back? And do you think that is going to have any adverse effects on this team that has, I think, just gained a ton of confidence. A lot of guys have gained a lot of reps mm-hmm. in his absence, and they've been playing with so much fire, so much energy and speed. Do you think there's any chance that Lowry coming back is going to disrupt that in any way? Um, I see what you're saying, but I don't really think so. Like, I think the guys that are hurt most are Norman Powell, who Nick Nurse has already said at practice that Norm's going to move back to the bench. Even though Norm as a starter averaged like around 15 points, was very efficient. He won them that game single-handedly against Orlando uh, when everyone else just, I don't know, had the Thanksgiving hangover or something. Um, and, of course, Terrence Davis, I think he's not going to see much time because all of a sudden, you know, you just don't have time for a third point guard. But at the same time, like, with Kyle, he's – Proven that he can play in an elevator role, in a more featured role, and he's also proven, especially last year and the year before that, that he can take a step back and let other people shine. He's a fundamentally unselfish player. He's got his money. He's got everyone. You know, he's he's got his family set. Like he doesn't need to steal other people's shine. This is one of the things that's nice about the Raptors too. Is just a whole team of unselfish guys. Very rare to find in the NBA, and I think Lowry's the head of that. So I actually don't think it affects too much. If anything, it should just improve the team. I mean, it's Kyle Lowry. Like he improves teams. Yeah, exactly. I think I think they just get better. Yeah, even though that's hard to imagine. Really hard. You no, know, it imagine. is. But I like you add Kyle Lowry. You yeah. know what I mean? They have like a plus nine net rating right now. It's pretty yeah, insane. It is yeah. insane. But I do think they're maybe. They, I'm not saying they get better record wise because yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. they're going to do much better than winning seventy percent of their games. But they will be a better team yeah. with Kyle Lowry healthy right. and on it. And the biggest change to me might be with Lowry in terms of his minutes and like the load on him. Cause the first two weeks of the season, the guy yeah. was leading the league in minutes. I believe he's at like 39 a game. And now Fred is basically averaging that, but now you can bring Kyle Lowry back and maybe you can rest him here and there. Maybe you can bring his minutes down to like even 34 because you know, Terrence Davis can give you 10 to 12 minutes. You know, yeah. some of these other guys can come in and, and give you some minutes. Maybe Norm can handle the ball a little more. I don't know. Like there's just, I think you've learned enough about the team now if you're Nick Nurse, that you can bring Kyle Lowry back, get better, but also not need to rely on Kyle Lowry as much. Yeah. I do think they may come to view that injury as a blessing in disguise if they haven't already, just because they started out the season playing a seven-man rotation. Nick Nurse didn't trust any of the bench guys, and now it almost seems like they might have too much depth (laughs) when he comes back. So I agree. I think you know they're they're definitely going to be able to scale down his minutes um, from where he was at in the start of the season. But the guy who has taken Lowry's starting point guard job and has replaced him during this stretch and led them to what a nine and two record nine since he two. got injured yep. is Fred Van Vliet who is playing to me like a borderline all-star there are a lot of good guards in the east this season so I don't know if he'll actually get one of those spots but are we going to cue in those cash register sound effects or what <laughs> he's going to be a free agent unrestricted free agent this coming summer and you know we've talked about this before cash there are five teams none of them in position to contend next season that are going to have big cap space this off season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the Knicks, Grizzlies, Hawks, Cavs, 
And Charlotte. And Charlotte. Yeah. What what is Fred Van Vliet's free agent market going to look like? And is one of those te- teams... I mean, the Knicks, to me, just like looking at it now, Yeah, the Knicks kind of scream like they're going to want to sign him. Yeah. So, I don't know. What, what do you guys think his market comes in at? And do you think that the Raptors are the team that ultimately ends up paying him? I think this is a it's a difficult question to answer right now because a we need to see what happens with the draft like if the Knicks land a top spot pick and you know they're in position to draft one like Lamelo Ball yeah. for example they're probably not going to be like well instead of drafting Lamelo Ball we're going to sign Fred VanVleet for thirty mil that's I don't think that's realistic mm-hmm. and I think b like you kind of want to see what Fred does this new improved Fred VanVleet how does that translate to the playoffs because last year. Fred had the highest of highs in the in the playoffs and the lowest of lows. Like we're talking about when in a seven game series, Fred VanVleet had three total made baskets against the Sixers. He got blocked more times by James Ennis than he had made field goals in a whole series. Um, so you, I think there's a lot to prove for Fred uh, just throughout the whole season. But right now, he's definitely earned a lot. I would say at minimum right now, Fred's probably getting you. 20 mil because in addition to like just the market being you know what it is like there's just not a lot of great free agents this summer yeah i was gonna say it starts at 20 mil for me um off the top of your head can you guys think of a better free agent this year like andre people were putting andre drummond at the top of free agent ranking and i'm sorry andre drummond's not a more valuable nba player in 2020 than fred van vliet like fred van vliet might be the best free agent on the market that's not hyperbole and i think what what makes him super valuable and such an enticing free agent is the fact that he can play either guard spot. And you're talking about a guy who is 25 years old, has shown rapid improvement over the past couple of seasons, yep. shooting 40% from three on a high volume of attempts. Um, and despite his size, can really credibly guard either the one or the two, is, to my mind, an elite point of attack defender. Yep. And so, you know, even in your hypothetical where if you are the Knicks and you get a pick and you draft LaMelo Ball, like, I don't think that precludes you from signing Fred Van Vliet at all. Because well, it's the Knicks, man. They're not afraid to spend a lot of money on one <laughs> position. Yeah, no, I mean, look, at, at for any team, like, if you have a primary ball handler who maybe isn't equipped to guarding point guards, yeah. like, Fred Van Vliet is a perfect guy to have because he is as good a point guard defender as you're going to get, but he can also play off the ball really effectively. And then, yeah. you know, if your star or primary ball handler takes a seat, Fred can come in and captain the offense, you know, as a primary ball handler as well. Like he, he's quite versatile and and guys, his size are very rarely that versatile. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I see him having played his way into like maybe even like $25 million range. And maybe by the end of the season, we're talking about him getting maxed out. I don't think that's crazy to say. It's not, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Like I said, he might be the best one on the market. Yeah. Which really means that he might've played his way out of Toronto, out, out of Toronto's price range, because we know they are hoarding cap space for that 2021 summer. And, and uh, I don't know if, if they pay him the max, they're not, I mean, it depends because maybe they can get off a norm salary and that might help them out. But yeah, uh, I don't see the Raptors letting Fred walk, man. No, well, you think no. they'll just pay him whatever they have to pay him to keep. Because listen, Fred's going where the money is, and, that, and yeah, that's yeah. not a knock on Fred. Betting the whole bet on yourself thing was betting on himself yeah, yeah. to get to this point and max out his dollar value. And the Raptors got him for a discount. Like what? What he's doing now? We, we talked about it. Fringe All Star right. level production. He's making eight mil. So you think like let's say it's Charlotte, which it, it probably won't be because they signed Rogier right. and they have Devonte Graham coming up. But like a yeah. team like that, you know where. Um, well, that's the thing, though. There aren't they, that they, many teams like that, right? right. With with more than twenty million dollars of cap space. I think if the rap if 
Fred comes to the Raptors and says, you got to pay me 80 over four years. You're, the Raptors probably like, yeah, sure, no problem. Let's, right. sign, let's sign a deal right now. And that's pretty much like where if you look at Minnesota or like Chicago, for example, mm-hmm. they can open up this type of money. That's doable. The Raptors are already going to do that. It's, the only concern is really, is he going to get like $30 million from a team? Yeah. And really, when you look at who actually has the actual capabilities of doing that, it's pretty much just the Knicks. So yeah. as long as the Knicks say the Knicks, I think, uh, so I don't know. I would just say like, you know, in a hypothetical like, would he take thirty million a year to go to the Knicks over taking, say, twenty five million a year to stay with the Raptors? That's a that's a twenty million dollar difference over four years, man. It yeah. is, but I mean, if you think when when you get into talking about that much money, I feel like the difference is a little True. bit more negligible. Of course, especially given that you know, like he's been here his whole career, he's probably settled here, he's in a great professional situation. Yeah, yeah. and and the position as is we pretty all much know, his. Basically, the, the Knicks are not cool. We know this. Yeah, but, um, you know, yeah. Anyway, uh, that that will be a really interesting free agent situation, I think, and and I kind of agree with you, Cash. I think he's maybe played his way to the very top of next year's free agent class, which is absolutely insane. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out The Score's other sports podcasts. For Major League Baseball, there's Expand the Zone. For soccer, we've got Sweeper Keeper. Puck Pursuit has you covered for the NHL. The Scores MMA podcast with James Lynch gives you your mixed martial arts fix. And the Fantasy Football podcast with Justin Boone covers, you guessed it, fantasy football. And in case you haven't already, download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. Now back to the show. Let's move on to Make or Miss, um, an a old se- classic, a, a segment that uh, made a lot of sense when there were three of us running the pod, but hasn't quite worked out with just two of us. But sense. now that we have Will back, uh, let's rip through some of these uh, before we end the pod. So for those unfamiliar, the way Make or Miss works is I'm going to just say a statement, and if Cash or Will agree, they're going to call it a make, and if they disagree, they'll call it a miss. First one is, Mello deserved to win Western Conference Player of the Week last week. F it. I'm going Yes. <laughs> Listen, numbers-wise, obviously, Luka Doncic and James Harden probably should have won it. Doncic got player of the month, so whatever. Yeah. Harden put up a 60 spot in three quarters. He did. Yeah. But look, man, it's the player of the week award, and Melo is absolutely revered by his peers. It's just a feel-good story. This guy was out of the league for almost a year, had people ripping him. His first few games obviously did not go well. People ripped him even harder. And then he... Played three really good games. Like he averaged yeah. about twenty-two and seven on great efficiency for a team that was going off the rails and ended up going three and zero last week. Yeah. With him, I believe being their leading or second leading scorer in those three games. So like, it's not like some like abomination, you know, where he was merely above average and mm-hmm. they gave him this like lifetime achievement award. Whatever, he was good enough that. 22 and 7 on insane efficiency in a 3 and 0 week has gotten guys player of the week before. This isn't crazy. Yeah, I'm going to go with a make just because, like, man, no one has ever debated a player of the week before this. <laughs> so I don't know why there's such a big uproar here. Um, obviously, he played Chicago twice, which helps, and OKC's not doing that great and whatever. But I mean, like, it's a great story, and the, the, the league is happy. You know what right. I mean? Like, who cares? Luka Doncic is going to win, like, 100 player of the weeks. And, like, Luke, James Harden, you can literally give it to him every week if you want to. So. Who actually decides on the player of this the week? This is something that I want to look into. Because... No one knows. No one seems to know. I was about to say, you know, Will said, like, who debates player of the week and, like, why is there such an uproar yeah. about this? And, like, 
there usually isn't because I think it's pretty rare that you see the, this award given out based on sentiment. Mm. And the, the closest thing that I could think of or that came to my mind right away was when the, like, the entire Hawks starting yeah, lineup yeah, won right, Player right. of the Month. Yeah. Yeah. Um, see, that, that's corny right there. <laughs> I don't care that they were And like this clearly, like, it, you know, if it, if it was an objective panel of voters, like Carmelo would not have won Player of the Week. Right. He was not the best player last week. Like you mentioned Doncic, yeah. you mentioned Harden. They were both way better. But... You know, sentimentally speaking, as you guys both pointed out, I think it's totally fine for uh, for Melo to have, have claimed this honor given, you know, the year that he spent out of basketball and how much flack he took and the fact that he came back and has played quite well for Portland. But I'm just curious as to who's actually voting on this and how much sentiment yeah. usually plays into it. You don't think Adam Silver and Mark Tatum are getting in a room with uh, Michelle <laughs> Roberts and deciding this? They're getting in a room with Nate Duncan and uh, <laughs> hashing it out. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> All right, second second make or miss point. Uh, Kyrie Irving made valid and important points in his Instagram diatribe. All right, look. Yes, did he, did he make valid points at points in that diatribe? Sure, that's a make. But the general, I thought, post was a big miss. And my fraud alert sirens were going off all oh, over man. the place. Okay, listen. On a serious note, obviously, mental health is an important subject, not just in the NBA, but in life, okay? And and now more than ever, it seems. And again, there were points in there that Kyrie Irving made that are absolutely valid. Like, of course, these guys are human beings. They should be treated as such. You shouldn't, first of all, you shouldn't hate. If you hate a player who left your team or whatever, no matter the circumstances, like, you have your own issues. Like, you got to get yourself checked out. And so I, I get that part of it, but... Like, what are we really talking about here? He was upset because they booed him. And they, what, chanted Kyrie sucks while he wasn't there? Like, in the grand scheme of things, for a guy that likes to have the third eye and, like, big picture takeaways, like, if we're at a point where fans in the market that you left can't even boo you and chant you suck, yeah, yeah. then come on. Like, as, as much as I think mental health is important, I also think, like, you're telling on yourself, like, maybe you don't have the mental capacity to play professional sports straight up. And, again, just so much of Kyrie, I've mentioned it before, I don't listen to people that think the earth is flat, so a lot of what he said to me is always going to be fraudulent. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say it, it's a make from Kyrie's perspective because... um you know, from his perspective, like he's gone through a very, very difficult time in life. It's clear that he's going through a difficult time. He's talked about how um, his grandfather's passing has really affected him. Um, and of course, you know, I, I, even going back before that, like he had a, he was in a relationship with Kehlani, who he described as his best friend. And then that really ended very publicly as well. And, and, and you know, that situation was just really poor. So like, I think Kyrie is just going through a lot in life, really. So from his perspective, mm -hmm. it's probably a make. But, I mean, also, I agree with Cash. Like, it, it's a little bit like the customer is always right in this case, right? Like, if they just want to boo you, like, they weren't doing it. Like, look, I'm not saying that it has to be so bad for it to be bad. But, like, this is not, like, in European sports or, like, soccer or things like that. It's, it's not on that level. It's They booed you because you left and, and you know, you under-delivered. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, come it's, on. Yeah, so... Yeah, I mean, like, I think he makes good points about the dehumanization of athletes. Right. Like, of that's a, that's one hundred percent a real thing that happens, yeah. and that's straight up part of what you're selling, though. That's what you're selling. Yeah, and I, I think there's an interesting conversation to be had about whether this is what you sign up for as an NBA player. I, you know, to a certain extent, like, and a lot of people will say, like, you know, what you're getting yourself into. This is why you're getting paid the amount of money that you're getting paid. Like mm -hmm. this is part of the bargain. But I think sometimes lines are crossed where it's like, you know what? No, like that is not what you sign up for. 
and that has no place in any work yeah, field. Agreed. At all. But in this um, case, if they're booing you because they, they don't saying, like we're their We're getting guys. to a point where like even booing and saying a guy, chanting that a guy sucks yeah, yeah. is like all oh, like you're not thinking but, of them as human beings. Like, come on. But I'm sure that Kyrie has put up with far worse than that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's why I think from his perspective, it's absolutely a make. Yeah. You know? Anyway, whatever. You know, when Kyrie speaks, it's always a little bit navel gazy, and that turns a lot of people off. Oh, when he put the giant life at the very bottom. Yeah, the the best tweet incredible. I saw about this was, I don't remember who tweeted. Someone tweeted that Kyrie's third eye is cross-eyed, and that's the problem. Oh, my, oh my God. God. <laughs> like he, he, it's like he tries to make good points, but he just doesn't know how certain times or like mm-hmm. rambles on too much. And then they said it's like as if a third eye was cross-eyed. I thought that was the perfect way to put it. All right. Make or miss. The top six in the Eastern Conference is better than the top six in the West. I'm still going to go miss. I think it's closer than I ever thought it would be a okay. uh, quarter of the way through the season, but I'm still going to say it's a miss. I'd still take those top six in the West. Yeah, I'm going to say it's a miss only because it is incredibly close, but I think the best team in the league is in the West, so I'll give them the edge. Um, but it is incredibly close, and it's a closer than it's ever been, so it's good. It's it, it's pretty crazy. Like I am going to go with a make. I, I think that on balance, yes, I agree that the – best team in the league is in the West, which we'll talk about in just one second. But I think on balance, those six teams, and it's quite interesting actually how both conferences have really been stratified. They like, there's a clear line of demarcation between the top six teams in each conference. Yeah. Um, the Pacers being the cutoff in the East and the jazz being the cutoff right now in the West. And looking at those teams, like top to bottom, I think that East crop is stronger. And uh, you kind of saw it like the Jazz just played a back-to-back against the Raptors and the Sixers. Granted, that's a tough road back-to-back to play, but they got yeah. spanked in both games. The Jazz I, got their own problems. Though. Yeah, and I like the flip side of that is like, like the Sixers also got spanked when they went on that West Road no, trip. I'm not, right? I, yeah. I, I agreed. I'm not, like, I'm not, not, every team I'm not using any single game as right. like an indicator, but I just think, uh, you know, if we're talking about like championship upside, I, I actually do think that they're you know, beyond the two LA teams in the West. And like, you know, Denver's got some, some interesting stuff going on with their defense right now that I wrote about recently. But yeah, um, I think there's more championship upside in the Eastern Conference than in the West. So let's round off with this last make or miss question that goes to something that you just mentioned, Will. Uh, the Clippers should still be considered championship favorites. Yeah, I think that's a make. Uh, Kawhi, to me, is the best playoff player in the NBA right now because he literally has no weaknesses. And so long as they stay healthy, the Clippers are my pick. Having said that, obviously, it's a big challenge for Kawhi to stay healthy, uh, not only in the regular season, but even the playoffs last year. The Raptors like, protected him a lot more than even the Clippers are doing right now. And even still, he got hurt halfway through that series, and he wasn't the same. So I just need Kawhi to stay healthy. But, yeah, the Clippers are definitely the title favorites. I'll keep it short because they're uh, rehearsing the anthems in the background <laughs> here. But, uh, yeah, it's a make. I still think they're the favorites. I will agree. Yeah, I think um, just watching that team with uh, with PG and Kawhi both healthy, I think their spread pick and roll is it's so difficult to man. stop. And I feel like the, the the majority of the teams that you see that play spread pick and roll is a primary source of offense. The guys who are providing the spread are usually just spot up shooters. I think that's true with the Rockets. I think it's true with the Lakers, even though the Lakers actually haven't been running that much pick and roll. But with the Clippers, it's like, you can run a pick and roll basically with like Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell and have the guys spotting up be Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and like Landry Shannon, which is like every single one of those guys is not only like providing enough <laughs> enough spacing um, and are like deadly spot up shooters, but also once they catch the ball can like make the next play. Yeah, like they whether can attack it's closeouts. Attacking closeouts, getting to the basket, pulling up from mid range, making the next pass. I think it's just like so, so difficult to stop that uh, come playoff time, they're going to be the team to beat. So with that, 
Um, this up. I got to go get Alex McKechnie to look at my shin. I banged <laughs> it at the beginning of this podcast and it's still bruised. So. Cash's shin is bruised. They're practicing the anthem in the background. So I want to say a huge thanks to Will uh, for coming on for this 100th episode of Pound the Rock. I want to thank everybody who has listened, whether you're a new listener, whether you've been listening from the beginning. It's, uh, it's truly an honor to put this show out every week and uh, we're really proud to have made it to 100. So with that, we'll sign off for William Liu and Joseph Cacharo. I'm Joe Wolfon. Pound the Rock. 